So our scripture this morning is from Matthew 24, starting with verse 32. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he will have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household, to give them their food at a proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so, so doing, when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards. So the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour that he does not know, and will cut him to pieces, and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together before we begin. Heavenly Father, take this word of Scripture that is true, that will never pass away, and teach us with it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, some of you recognize that name, most of you probably. She's a Democrat who serves in the United States Representative for New York's 14th Congressional District. And she said a lot of very interesting things. She's the youngest woman ever elected to Congress, and she made headlines and sparked controversy when she said that she and other young Americans fear that the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. Some of you heard her say that or heard about that? Yeah. 
She described climate change as the single biggest national security threat for the United States and the single biggest threat to worldwide industrialized civilization as we know it. Quite a statement, isn't it? Interestingly, just last week she said, and I read this in the news, just last week she said the whole world ending in 12 years things, you'd have to have the social intelligence of a sea sponge to think I meant that literally. She said that. So, a lot of controversy, a lot of speculation, a lot of she must be crazy, a lot of conversations about that. But I want to tell you something, she was right. Right? She was right. The world's going to end. The world that we know, the world around us, this is going to come to an end. And she was totally right about that. She just got the date wrong. Right? It's not going to be in 12 years. It's going to be when God decides. And she got the method wrong. It's not going to be climate change. God himself is going to destroy the world that he made under his own power, just like he spoke it into existence in Genesis 1. In Revelations, we read that a sword comes out of the mouth of the Messiah and destroys the civilization that he made, the earth as we know it. It's going to go away. She was right. And our passage today, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, is the longest discourse about this in the Bible that Jesus gave. The disciples made a comment about the temple. Jesus made a comment about their comment. And then the disciples asked him a question. And Jesus talked for two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25, about the end of the age, the the second coming of Christ, the end of the world as we know it, the longest single discourse of Jesus in the New Testament. Wow, that's what we're talking about. And so the challenge is, we're looking at the second half of Matthew 24, but Jesus' discussion is two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25. Last week, Jake talked about the first half of chapter 24. And so this end of the age is a big deal. And how did we get into this conversation? If you remember from Jake's sermon in Matthew chapter 24, they're walking out of the temple and the disciples turn around and say to Jesus, man, look at the, look at that gorgeous temple and the architecture and the stonework. And they comment how wonderfully marvelous, immaculate, gigantic, enormous this temple is. And Jesus says what? Well, there's not going to be one stone left upon another when the destruction comes. And the disciples go, what? And then they ask him a question. They made a comment about the temple. Jesus tells them it's going to be destroyed. They make an assumption based on the question that they ask. Let's go back and look at that question. Matthew chapter 24, just in the first couple of verses there. His disciples said to him in chapter 24, verse 3, Tell us when these things will happen, number one. What is the sign of your coming, number two? And what is the sign of the end of the age? So Jesus tells them the temple is going to be destroyed, not one stone left or another, which is true, which already happened. And they say, well, what's the sign of your coming? What's the end of the age look like? They ask him three questions back. Why do you think that happens? Think about this. Do you know what the temple's like? Do you know how big this place is? There, they were quarried stones that were brought in to build the temple. And they were called ashlars. And ashlar is a gigantic stone that's made with chisels and, and hammers. And by the way, if you're hammering on a chisel and you miss that chisel, that's what happens right there. Okay, that's, 
that's what happens. But anyways, so these ashlars are made in quarries, and what they would do is they would go into gigantic stone quarries, and they would chisel these crevices in the stone, maybe four inches wide, and they would chisel this long crevice. Then they would pound wood down in those crevices, and they would pour water on that wood, and that water would swell the wood up and shove this gigantic stone away. Then they would move that stone down, get it all nice and flat and square, and make it down and take it and build the temple. Some of the stones that built the temple were 40 feet long. That's from that window to that post right there. They were 40 feet long, 10 feet wide, and 10 feet high. Think about that for a second. That's over 400 tons. 400 tons. Most of the stones in the temple were in the 50-ton range. That's a semi-truck loaded, you guys. A semi-truck. Back in an age when they didn't have a lot of rubber tires and hydraulic cranes and things like that. So when the disciples talk about the temple and say how wonderful it is, and Jesus says, they're all going to be destroyed, they're all going to be knocked down. They're like blown away. They go, oh my word, that must be the end of the earth as we know it, because there's no way you're going to tip over all these big stones. And they immediately go to the, what's the end of the age look like? And what is your second coming look like? And what are the signs going to be? That's how far they go based on Jesus' response. And so then Jesus responds to those three questions. When will this happen? What is the sign of your coming and what is the end of the age? Jesus responds to those three questions in Matthew 24 and 25, but he doesn't tell us when one question stops or another one begins. So we read this and we know it's all about that. We know it all ties into that and then we have to look at what's important for us to learn. Those stones in the temple, I just want to assure you that one of the things that makes it a little easier, those 400 ton stones, you know, I talked about 400 tons. By the way, that's... uh, a semi is 40 tons, so 400 ton stone is 10 semis. That's how big a stone that would be. It was downhill from the quarry to the temple, so it was downhill. So that does help a little bit. I also read that Josephus said they used a 1,000 oxen to build the temple to move the stones. You know an oxen can pull its own weight, and an oxen, a little oxen, weighs a 1,000 pounds. And so a 1,000 oxen times a 1,000 pounds is a million pounds. And so these oxen were able to do that. But they built this wonderful temple, which is why the disciples were so amazed when Jesus said it's going to be torn down. Jesus says, one stone not left on another, and the disciples immediately assume that will be the end of the age, because how could that possibly happen? So in last week's sermon, we looked, at at what's coming. And I'll just run through a quick list of that. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be nation against nation, famines, earthquakes, persecutions, false prophets, abomination of desolation, which we think happened and still is yet to happen, fleeing to the mountains, good news proclaimed to all nations, probably hadn't happened at that time, fleeing to mountains, woe to pregnant women escaping in the winter or on the Sabbath, a great Tribulation like has never been seen from the beginning of the world. I don't think that's happened yet. We have not seen a tribulation in our world so great that nothing like it has never, ever been seen before. But it's coming. It is coming. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Daniel prophesying says, There's a time of distress like has never been seen before. Last week we talked about false messiahs performing great signs and wonders and leading many astray. And then verse 27 says, As lightning is flashed from east to west, so is the coming of the Son of Man. What does that mean? 
lightning flashing from east to west. Ever been outside and see lightning and the whole sky lights up and it goes all the way across the sky and you couldn't miss it for your life? Jesus says when the Son of Man comes, ain't nobody going to be missing it. It's going to be lightning from east to west and you're going to know it happened. Then remember that really funny thing last week in that passage about where the, where the carcass is? That's where the vultures gather. Kind of hard and people struggle with. What does that mean? I think it means the same thing as a lightning. You want to find out where the carcass is? Look where the vultures are gathering because wherever the vultures are swinging around down below them, that's the carcass. It's that obvious. And Jesus tells us that to tell us that when the Son of Man comes back, when Jesus comes back to get His own, those of us who are Christians, those of us who love His appearing and wait for Him, it will be so obvious that something big happened. I want you to be in that gathering with me because I'm going up when Jesus comes back. And then last week it said the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. I don't believe that's happened yet, but I believe it's coming. It's coming. Clearly, this is the end of the world as we know it. During the tribulations in Romans, or Revelations chapter 8 through 11, there's the seven trumpets and the angels blow the trumpet and the judgment comes out. And the, the, these trumpet judgments are released on the earth and the earth is devastated. Right? The first trumpet in Revelation chapter 8 is hell and fire are thrown to earth and the vegetation is burned up. Second trumpet, enormous volcano-like eruptions turn the seas to blood. The water's poisoned. Fourth trumpet, a third of the heavenly light is struck and day is darker and day is shorter and night is pitch black because the stars and moon are gone. That ties right in with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. The sun will be dark and the moon won't give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will take it. Imagine going out at night with the moon gone and all the stars gone and the pitch blackness of that and the scariness of that. And during the day, the lights are diminished. The sun is darkened and daylight is way shortened and it's way more scary. And night is so pitch black, it's scary. And then after that judgment, the revelations... Chapter 9 tells us that there's creatures that will torment men but won't kill them. And you will wish that you could die, but you can't. And then an army of 200 million people are mobilized and a third of the world's population is killed. That's not a metaphor, beloved. That's the Bible. That's what's going to happen. A third of the world's population. That hasn't happened yet. But it's coming. And you know enough about technology and governments and troubles around the world. You know enough about technology that you know that is not that far-fetched for that to happen. And that's God's judgment on people that don't love Him and follow Him. And throughout this whole answer to the disciples' question about what the end is looking like, Jesus says, it's going to get really, 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 really bad. And you don't want to be here. And then, at the end of last week's sermon in Matthew uh, 24, verse 30 and following, you ready? Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, And all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call and He will gather His elect 
from the four winds of the earth, from one end of the heavens to the other. Wonderful. God's going to take His believers. God's going to take His church, His children, the saints that He redeemed home with Him forever. He's going to rescue them out of this horrible, destroyed place. I think Daniel refers to this in chapter 12, verse 1, when he says that everyone's uh, everyone written in the Lamb's book of life is going to be delivered. In Revelations chapter 3, verse 10, because you have kept my commands to endure, I will keep you from the hour of testing. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, that we're to wait for the Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead who will rescue us from the coming wrath. Now Jesus then, in chapter 24 and 25, explains what's coming at the end in these two chapters. So he's answering three questions. When will this happen? What is the sign of your coming? And what is the sign of the end of the age? And he makes application for a chapter and a half. So get with me here. The first half of 24, he's telling you all this stuff, and he ends with Jesus coming back, and the angels with him, they're going to gather his elect and take him home. And then the next chapter and a half, last half of 24, all of 25, haven't preached on that yet, coming up soon, is is illustrations in parabolic form of what that looks like in the ten virgins in their oil lamps and the master who left his servants in charge. And there's there's parabolic descriptions of what that looks like so that we can be ready for when it happens. In our text today, verses 32 through 35, there's a fig tree illustration that encourages us to see what is obvious. Verses 36 through 44, it's going to be like the days of Noah. Nobody's going to know when it's coming, and one's going to be left, and one's going to be taken. One's going to be left, and one's going to be taken. A wife is going to be taken. A husband's going to be left. Two people working in the garden. One's going to be taken. One's going to be left when Jesus comes back. And then in verses 45 through 51, we are to be a faithful servant while the master is gone. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this teaching, with this scripture? Let me tell you what I think we should do with it. Number one, there are two things that resonate through these entire two chapters. They're riddled all the way through. You cannot escape it. Number one is the reference to the end of the age, the ends of time, the eternal judgment, the eternal life, the end of it in in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, 13 times in these two chapters, Jesus talks about the end. It's coming. Chapter 24, verse 13, 14, 21, 31, 44, 51. Chapter 25, verses 13, 30, 31, 34, 41, and 46. You cannot get around the repetitious nature of Jesus referring to the end of the age over and over and over again. But here's the thing. That's not a command. That's information. That's a fact. Right? He's just telling us what's going to happen. This is information. This doesn't tell us what to do. But I got good news for you. There's something else repeated all through these chapters over and over again, just like the truth of the end of days. There's another thing repeated all the way through the chapter. And you know what it is? It's being alive, alert, awake, and enthusiastic. Awaken, being alive, being alert is over and over in chapter 24, verses 33, 42, 43, 44, 50, and chapter 25, verse 13. Over and over and over again, as Jesus talks about the end, he says, be awake, pay attention, 
Be alert. Hence the sermon tape alive, alive to Christ. Awake, alert, alive, enthusiastic. In the figs, we see that what's coming is going to be obvious. You can't miss it. Everybody's going to know what happened. Now, they might not love God. They might not believe it. They might not be taken up by him, but they're going to know that something big happened. And then we see the days of Noah. It's coming. Okay, Noah built that ark for 100 plus years and that flood was coming. It didn't matter what you were doing. They were eating and drinking and giving in marriage and tending the garden and, 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 and doing all the things they do. And that end came whether they were ready or not. And Noah and his family got in the ark and everyone else perished. The days of Noah, they didn't know when. And one day it started to rain. And then we look at a master who's trusting a slave to await his return. The slave is supposed to be faithful while the master is gone. Jesus is the master. You and I are the slaves. The master, Jesus, has left us, the slaves, in charge of his things while he's gone, and we're supposed to be alert and taking care of Jesus' business while he's not here. You don't know what Jesus' business is. You want to know what it is? Just keep coming back to worship every Sunday. And week after week after week, we will tell you what Jesus is about on this earth so that we can be about what he wants us to be about. And then in chapter 25, we have the parable of the ten virgins, a story about five ladies who are ready for the bridegroom and five ladies who are not. And Jesus uses that to parabolically illustrate that some are going to be ready and some are not. And some are going to say, wait, 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 the, the bridegroom's here and I don't have any oil on my lamp. I'm not, I'm not ready. And they're going to say, too late, too late. Parable of the virgins. And then a very, very common uh, parable in Scripture um, is about the master handing out the parable, the talents. And he gave talents to some and a few more to somebody else. He comes back to collect that. And often that's preached from sort of a stewardship perspective. But the truth is Jesus used that parable talking about the end of days and us being responsible until that time that he comes back. And so we see that parable uh, also. So what's the point? The end of the age is coming. That's true. So what's a Christian to do? I'd like to illustrate. I was getting some gasoline for my John Deere Gator at Fleet Farm this week. And they have non-oxygenated gas at Fleet Farm, if you didn't know that. So if you're lawnmowers and snowblowers and gators, things that don't need this fancy new gas, that's better. And I, I saw something that caught my attention because I've been spending the last several weeks thinking about what it looks like for Christians to be alert and ready and noticing and aware. And I saw I saw a five-hour energy drink. You know what that's for? That's so when you have to drive all night in your semi-truck and get that delivery out to Costco so somebody can get their petunias and baked potatoes or whatever it is, you can stay, you can go like crazy. Matter of fact, the advertisers tell us that this is for, let me see, this is for your five-hour drive to get work done. Right there. Okay. And then, ready for this? Red Bull. Red Bull. Red Bull. Red Bull is for getting work done. This is a high-intensity workout that vitalizes your body and mind. You know how many cans of Red Bull were sold in the world last year? You're going to die. Last year, Red Bull in the world, 8 billion cans. 8 
billion cans of this stuff because we need to be alive and awake and alert for our workouts and for our bike rides and for our mountain climbing. We got Red Bull for that. And then we got, you want to be a rock star? We got rock star. You got rock star right there. You can get that. And rock star, they tell you that rock star, it's scientifically formulated. This is off their website. Scientifically formulated for those who lead active and exhausting lives. That's for you. That's for you. Active and exhaustive lives. And then, do you want to reign supreme big time? Reign. Reign. Total body fuel. Right there. Right there. Total body fuel. And that is, this is to inspire you to motivate and achieve. And last but not least, are you ready for this one? This one just kills me. I saw this when it came out and I just... <sighs> Game fuel. I put this on the counter at Fleet, at Fleet Farm and this 17-year-old guy checking the stuff out goes, you're going to love that stuff. It tastes like cotton candy. It's awesome. <laughs> and I said, I have no intention of drinking any of this. <laughs> And he says, what? And I said, no, I'm using it for a sermon illustration. He's like, what? And I told him I was illustrating what it looks like to be alert and ready for the end of the age. Beloved, this stuff right here, our culture drinks billions, billions of cans of this stuff. Red Bull, number one selling energy drink in the world. Okay, they drink billions of this stuff because they want to be awake and they want to be alive. They don't want to miss a thing. and They want to be energetic and vitalized and enthusiastic. Listen, we don't need chemicals to do that. I have to read this because I want to say this exactly right. Listen to me. We don't need chemicals to be alive, alert, awake and enthusiastic. Do it girded with truth. In the power of the Holy Spirit, with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we should take our alertness to Jesus Christ and what He's doing and when He's coming, we should take our alertness to that as seriously as everybody else takes all this stuff. And I was going to hand these out, let you all have them, but I don't think I'd be helping you because I think if you drink enough of this stuff, it'll kill you. Right? So, our culture is obsessed with their alertness and their vitality and One of these has 350 milligrams of caffeine in that one can. That's like six cups of coffee. Don't do it with chemicals. Do it girded in truth and the power of the Holy Spirit with faith in Christ. And so the the answer to the, the question I want to ask now is how? How do we look at this passage? How do we glean from this scripture what it looks like to be alert for the end? Six things. Very quickly, because it's so much more important you see why this matters than you see exactly what it is. So number one, number one, see the signs. See the signs. The fig tree. Jesus always, he was like to the Pharisees, yeah, you guys are so smart. You see a red sky at night. You know, it's going to be, you know, sailors, you know, red sky in the morning. Sailors take warning. He's like, you guys can figure everything out, but you can't figure anything out about religion. And Jesus is saying, hey, just like when the fig tree starts to bud, summer's coming. When I was a kid, you were not supposed to plant corn in the field on the farm till a, till a leaf on an oak tree was the size of a mouse's ear. That was that was that's when you plant corn, right? That's just what we did. And so Jesus says, just like the fig tree, it's going to be really obvious. Start looking, pay attention, be awake, be alive, be alert. 
The work of God is all around you. The work of God is worldwide. Cultures are being shaped by the gospel. And yes, evil's, evil's rampant too, I get it. But some of the evil that's coming ties right in with all those bad things that we read about earlier and the wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and pestilence and famines. So number one, beloved, see the signs. Number two, be ready to go. I'm ready. I want it. I want Jesus to burst through the clouds. Have you ever been driving along in the highway and you see this gorgeous, like, billowing cloud and your sun's out and it's reflective and you're like, Jesus could pop through that thing right now and take me. It would be awesome. Are you ready? He's coming. Alexandria's right. The earth is going to end. And you don't want to be here when it ends. You want to be sitting at the feet of Jesus worshiping Him. Are you ready? In the days of Noah, they didn't see it coming and boom, it was over before they had a chance to repent and God destroyed them all. Don't let that be you. Are you ready? Number one, see the signs. Number two, be ready to go. Number three, verses 40 to 42. Don't leave your neighbor behind. If Jesus comes to take us back and you're working with some friends at work or in the garden or at your house or at a party or a wedding, whatever it is, somebody's going up and somebody's staying behind. Share the gospel with your friends and neighbors. Isn't that obvious what alertness looks like? To be alert, to be aware that Jesus is coming back, it's a really big deal because it's going to get really bad for a lot of people really fast. And I don't want to be here and I don't want the people I love to be here. Pray for your families. Pray for your coworkers. Reach them. Talk to them. Reach out to them. See the signs. Be ready to go. Don't leave your neighbor behind. And then number four, be prepared. Be prepared. Jesus uses the passage in 43 to 44 about being ready for the thief that comes in the night. And his illustration says you don't know when the thief is coming. Now, Jesus is not being the thief. He's, he's illustrating the element of surprise. And so if you knew that a thief was going to come into your house at some point, even if it was the next week, you're going to have the doors locked and the windows latched and you're going to leave some lights on and you might even leave, get one of them, I don't know, to take a TV screen, put it in an oscillating fan to make it look like there's light moving around. Whatever it takes, you're going to do whatever you can to be alert and be ready because that thief is coming. It's going to be a surprise. And so we should be prepared. You know what I think that means for us? Make your walk with God the number one priority in your life. Be ready. Don't be dozing off. Don't be, don't be thinking, ah, you know, Jesus hasn't come for 2,000 years. I mean, who knows, whatever. I got, I got fields to plan. I got cars to buy. I got houses to build. I got games to play. I got game fuel to drink so I can beat my buddies. Be prepared. Make your walk with God the number one priority in your life. That's what it looks like to be prepared for Jesus coming back. Even in my own life, as I work through this this week, in my business, in my life, I'm constantly reminded as I make decisions that some of these decisions are just irrelevant. They're not even going to matter in 10 or 20 or 30 years after that. Nobody cares about this. Let's put our time where something matters. Let's meet with some people. Let's take out some visitors from church. Let's, let's talk to, to a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law who's not a Christian. Let's plead with them to come to Christ. Let's do something that matters because there's a thief coming. He's going to steal a lot of stuff. It's going to be good. And then number five, labor for your master. This is that passage about um, Jesus putting in the servants in charge of his possessions while he's gone. And in verses 45 through 50, uh, 
there's a faithful and sensible slave whom his master has put in charge of his household to give him food at the proper time. And that slave whose master finds him working when he comes will be rewarded. So Jesus has left us in charge. He's empowered us with the Holy Spirit. We're doing his bidding. And we are to be prepared for the master. Interestingly, in this passage, there's two things that Jesus specifically says that this unfaithful servant, this wicked servant is doing wrong. It's very interesting what he says. My master is delayed, the wicked servant says in his heart. And so he starts to beat his fellow slaves. And he eats and drinks with drunkards. Now, Jesus always had a way of illustrating with extremes, didn't he? He liked to say, you know, it's harder for rich man, to, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. He's like, oh man, he's, he's, all, he's always doing that, you know, and he gives, he did parables and stories where he just, it wasn't an exaggeration, it was hyperbole to make a point. He was going next to him to say, look at this. You, they, they say you're supposed to carry your cloak a mile for those Romans and Jews. Carry it too! Go all the way! And so Jesus uses two things. He talks about what the servant is doing with his fellow servants on one hand, and then he talks about what he's doing in his, in his intake on the other hand. He talks about beating his servants, and he talks about drunkenness and hanging out with drunkards. And so I think the two things that we should take away from this as a hard and fast rule is, number one, watch how you treat others. Yeah, you're probably not beating your servants. I get it. What about your family members? What about your coworkers? What about those people that report to you? What about someone who cheats you? Labor for the master. One, watch how you treat others. And number two, this is really important. This hanging out with drunkards and drinking a lot. Watch what you indulge in. This convicted me too this week. Watch what you indulge in. What's really important to you? Watch what you indulge in and find yourself being saturated with the Word of God and the Spirit of God working in your life and not with other things that don't matter, like food and trips and games and toys and I could go on and on about the stuff we're so easily distracted. Labor for the Master. Watch how you treat others and watch what you indulge in. That is absolutely consistent with Jesus' teaching in these passages of being alert and ready. And lastly, here's the big one. You ready? Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. He will, that slave's master will come on a day he does not expect, an hour he does not know, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites and a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is not good. When Jesus comes back, if he has a servant who's pretending to be a servant and going to church and maybe even in some Bible studies and maybe even reading some Bible now and then, but he's just playing a game, he's a hypocrite, doesn't love God, doesn't serve God, doesn't want to be in the family of God, has not given his life for the kingdom of God. Jesus says, when I come back, I'm going to say, you're a hypocrite and you can go where all the hypocrites go. You know where they go? They go to hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth all over the Bible. That's what Jesus talks about when he talks about hell. Don't be a hypocrite. Fake it with the church and God through life and you will be cut to pieces by God himself. The Bible says it. Don't fake it. 
It's very interesting that both chapter 24 and 25 end the same way. If you turn ahead to chapter 25 and you look at the very last verse, Jesus ends this chapter the exact same way. He says, and they will go away into eternal punishment. That's real. But in the end of chapter 25, at the end of his entire discourse, he says, but the righteous into eternal life. Be the righteous. Don't be a hypocrite. There is no possible way that a room of this size with this many people, there is not somebody here who is a hypocrite right now. I plead with you. The end is coming. Jesus spoke and He was real. He was true. He was God. He told us. He gave us a chance to get ready to be alive, to be awake, enthusiastic. And when He comes back, if you're playing games with God, it will go very bad for you. You don't want that to happen. There was a gardener for a really large estate over in Italy. And he conducted tours of the estate grounds for people that came because it was so gorgeous. And there were trim trees and flowers and potted plants and all this gorgeous stuff. And people would go on tours. And one day a husband and his wife sat down with the gardener. And they said, why do you keep the gardens in such a lovely, immaculate matter? It's just mind-blowing how wonderful it is. And the gardener said, well, I'm expecting my master to return. And the husband and wife said, well, when are you expecting him? And he goes, well, I'm not sure. And he goes, well, how long since he's been here? And the gardener goes, oh, it's been 10 years. And they went, 10 years? And when do you think he's coming back? The gardener says, I don't know, but I am ready for his coming if it was today. I cannot make a message any more obvious for those of you that might be on the fringes. Are you ready for Christ's return? Are you expecting Him? Are you anxious for that? Are you enthusiastic about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this message is real. You're going to end this beautiful creation that you're made. You're going to make a better one. And I want to be with you when that happens. And Father, for those right now that maybe are not there, maybe it's not just that they're not there. Maybe they're just playing games with their faith and they're not taking it seriously. They need to wake up and be alert. Father, I pray for them right now. I pray for the Holy Spirit to convict hearts even now as we close this message in Jesus' name. Amen.